1: This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Are you ready? Yes. All right, guys. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader, and I'm so excited to have Alexander Boll of Emerho Designs here. I'm uh, very excited to have him here. And before we talk about oysters and oyster knives, let's take care of a little business. What do you say? Number one, Broadbeck Ironworks, makers of the 2 by 72 grinder. It is an awesome grinder uh, for knife makers, metal workers, woodworkers. If you're taking away material, this is the grinder for you. Uh, I love it. It goes horizontal. It goes vertical. They're making a lot of attachments that will make the jobs that you need done. If you want a contact wheels, if you want surface grinders, if you want... Uh, radius platens—they have a new radius platen that looks awesome. If you're trying to get in that way, or you want a, a bevel table, or they make a lot of really great products for metal workers to get the material away the way you want it. And if you go to Knife Talk 200. No, my mistake. If you go to broadbeckironworks.com, put in the promo code Talk 200 you'll get $200 off their grinder packages. Their packages are, you know, you'll get the chassis and then you'll have a couple different features and stuff like that. If you put in Knife Talk 100 you're getting $100 off their sharpening system, which is a dynamite sharpening system. You get $100 off the surface grinder or their leather sewing machines. They also have, they have belts. They also have abrasives. They also have heat treating ovens. I'm with you. Broadbeck Ironworks is really great and they have a sale that starts Friday March 17th Friday March 17th this is it and it will end Sunday March 26th and it's available online and at the show at the Texas Blade Show and the promotion will be you get a $250 gift card to their website if you pa- if you purchase the max package $300 off or uh, $300 gift card if with the premium package and $400 gift card with the mega package um, that can be used on the website so go check it out if you go over at the Texas blade show tell them I tell them you tell them we sent you you know what I'm saying tell them we sent you so thank you very much broadback ironworks next is even heat manufacturers of the finest heat treatment ovens available to find your next oven go to evenheat-kiln.com if you are in the tool game and you need to harden something get yourself an even heat and I'll tell you why because they have the solid state drive that reads the, the temperature in the kiln, fast, so fast. And it, and it makes it for a much more uh, even heat, just in the name, guys. So if you go to evenheat-kiln.com, heat, even you can check out what they have. If you're a tool maker if you're making knives, you're making swords, you're making hammers, if you're a potter, a potist, or you're a ceramicist, you get yourself them in even heats And it's a company that stands behind their product. You give them a call, any kind of customer service questions you have, it's the place to go, and if you follow Knife Talk, they have a special discount and uh, uh, distributor that will give you $100 off or $75 off and of free shipping United States. So go check out Even Heat. Definitely, they're the best. I love Spence and the guys. God, God bless Even Heat. All right next is my friends at nordic edge nordic edge is a company in uh, australia it's nordic they have a lot a lot a lot of blacksmithing tools uh bladesmithing tools bladesmithing supplies they have power hammers they have forges and presses and if you need if you're not sure you need to get started they're the place to go if you want something big if you want something small if you're learning how to get into it and you're just like well i want to dip my toe into knife making they have kits too and i just found out that they're also selling hoffy hammers hoffy my teacher just passed away we're going to talk about him a little bit maybe a little bit later and then i got something to talk about with my my man my man's my man's passed away my man's passed away but Haffy um, had had a number of students. One of the students was named Boaz, and he gave Boaz permission to make Haffy hammer. So if you're looking for a, a forged Haffy hammer, Boaz is making them, and they have them at Nordic Edge uh, right now. Uh, and there's he's he's some of these guys, they don't get the okay. Some of these guys making Haffy hammers, they don't get the okay. But uh, Boaz gets the okay. So go check out Nordic Edge. Uh, Get yourself a hammer. Get yourself some tongs. Get yourself some handle material. Whatever you need to get started or resupply or whatever. Um, Thank you very much, Nordic Edge. uh, And uh, those guys are awesome. I really appreciate them down in Australia. Next is Maritime Knife Supplies. If you need knife-making stuff, belts, abrasives, steels, kilns, forges, presses, heat-treating ovens, anvils, whatever you want. Get started, resupplied they are the ones to go to. They are an awesome distributor you know, of, of knife making uh, materials and stuff and steels and stuff like that in Canada. And they also ship to the United States. They uh, He just sent me some some belts and it was fast. It was so fast. It was as fast as I was getting them to anybody else. So definitely go check out Maritime Knife Supply. Uh, and if you get a pack of 10 abrasive belts, they're going to give you 10% off Uh, and that's one free belt so go get yourself one of them they have all the team army he supplies all the TR maker equipment the dr laren thomas's must have book. if you're a knife maker you don't have dr laren thomas must have book knife engineering what are you doing get it from lawrence so maritime dot Knife Supply.com. they're they're great it's and they're supporting a lot of schools they're supporting the new england school of metalwork (laughs) they're very part of the knife making community so many thanks to maritime knife supply Next is my friends at Trojan Horse Forge, makers, makers of the Stable Rail Knife Finishing Vice. Their vices are built in the heart of Texas. They're, these vices are designed to take your handle finishing to a whole new level with features you won't find anywhere else. What is that feature? You can hand sand your blades comfortably on the Stable Rail Knife Finishing Vice. They have these bolts that b- b- bolt up a plate. The plate's covered in rubber, or they have holes with little pins, and you, you can... Put in your knife and it makes it very stable and if you have a distal taper no problem pins supports the distal taper if you have an integral bolster no problem move move the bolt move the table back a little bit and you can submerge your your uh your your integral bolster if you have a file guide you can you can take care of the file guide too whatever you want, the stable rail knife finishing vice is going to get you squared away. And then when you're done, you're done hand sanding, you turn it around and you get that handle in there. And then you have 360 degrees of, of clearance, uh, to get to wherever you need to go. I love this thing. I love these guys, the Trojan horse, Trojan horse forge knife finishing Vice is where it's at. And if you go to trojanhorseforge.com and put in the promo code, full blast. You're going to get free shipping in the United States. So go get yourself one of them, Trojan Horse Forge. Uh, get, it, get the stable overnight the vice. And you know what? If you're saying, "Wow, well, I just don't have a lot of money to spend. Dude, they have they have payment plans. Nobody's going to know. The person who's looking at your credit card statements, they're not going to say, what was all this? You're going to say a little bit of this, a little bit of this, four times, no problem. Bingo, bango, bongo, you're in business. So get yourself one of them, TrojanHorseForge.com. Next is my friends at Baker Forge and Tool. I just finished up one of uh, the Baker Forge and Tool uh copper Damascus sand my copper my steels. And this stuff is in- intricate. So he uh Coy Baker has figured out a way to make really really good repeatable uh, exotic steels with a core with a layer he makes it with bronze mai with a layer of bronze and then mosaic damascus he gave me uh well I, I got he gave me a number of years ago he gave me a piece of copper mai, which had a 80 uh, crv2 core it had some co- layer copper and then a layer of rainbow pattern Damascus on the jacket, stuff is dynamite, and it's easy to use. It should not be intimidating. And you know why? Because if you're stock removing it, which probably you should. I, I mean, they, they also, P.S. They're also selling uh, stock removal integral bolsters with uh, uh with the with the like a integral in the blank, so you can cut it out and then you can make your you can stock removal out an integral bolster the the copper my actually makes it really easy for you to see where the core is before you etch it so when you're grinding it, that copper line, you can see it. And then you can expose the core. You can look at both sides, and you'll see where you are in the in the steel, which is awesome because all of a sudden, it kind of takes away a little bit of the doubt. Like, am I in the core? Did I do the right thing? Am I going, too, am I going past the core? I've used it now twice. I just finished up a second knife, and I love it. So I would highly suggest, if you're looking at this stuff, and P.S., the customers are going out of their minds for this stuff. If you're into the stock removal game and you're looking to jazz it up, you're looking to jazz it up, you just saw some of that Baker Forge and tool steel. And if you go to bakerforge.com and you put in the promo code full blast, you can get 10% off your order, 10% off your steel, 10% off your gator piss. Gator piss? Yeah, that's their etchant that they make. They, they, they have an etchant that works great. I've heard a lot of great things and uh it's already pre-mixed you know you know a lot of times you got well, a little bit of ferric a little bit of water what's the ratio gator piss takes care of it go get yourself some of that gator piss and put it in full blast to get you 10 percent off your order go check it out and people love it people love the gator piss i mean what am i to, who am i to say he wants to name it when he names it I, i'm with it coy you know he wants to name it gator piss god bless him i mean maybe i might not tell my customers but at the same time, I don't have to tell them everything. What do I got to tell them everything? Don't worry about it. Go get yourself some of that Copper My Get yourself a, get yourself a little bit of that Gator Piss, and you're in business. So BakerForge.com, and follow them on BakerForge and Tool on Instagram. They're doing great things. Thank you, Koi. You rule. Uh, and last but not least, I cannot thank enough Total Boat. Total Boat makes adhesives, paints, primers, polishing compounds. For boaters and DIYers, they understand that you need your projects to go smoothly. They are very involved in the maker community and the woodworking community. There are all these people making um, river tables. They started out dealing with DIYers and people who are in the uh, uh, maker community and the boating community. And I'm trying to tell the knife making community that their two-part epoxy is awesome. I've been using their two-part epoxy exclusively for the past, exclusively for the past four months and I love it, and it's great. Um, I, it was really easy to use. Their pumps are very user-friendly. One pump there, one pump of the hardener, one pump of the resin, it's enough for one knife, and it's great, and they have different sizes. They have volume. They have pigment. If you're looking to pigment your your scale, I always pigment my, uh, my epoxy because I got file work usually, or I want some dark. They have the pigment too so go get yourself some of that total boat and if you go to totalboat.com put in the promo code full black full blast 10 you're gonna get 10 percent off um i would highly suggest that i would also highly suggest getting their uv cure clear resin you put a little bit of that on hit it with the uv light bingo bango bongo hard as a rock i don't know how they do it but that is awesome stuff. Uh, I love Total Boat uh, and I appreciate their support. They are have been an awesome sponsor to not only me but there are other makers using Total Boat. Keith Decent, Derek and Keith Johnson, Keith Mitchell, uh, Woby Design. He's going to be on the podcast soon too, and he uses it. And obviously Jimmy DeResta. Jimmy Duresta is using it for I don't know. He's bearing he's bearing all these dead animals in it. So I mean, he putting taking roadkill and shove it in the Total Boat two part epoxy and. Iceman cometh, you know what I'm saying? So guys, go get yourself some of that total boat and um, I want to thank you. Thank everybody for your s- support and I want to thank my guest, my guest, Alexander Bowl of Emerho. It's prena- it's spelled emergo designs, but I know that it's pronounced emerho, emerho designs. I want to thank my, my my man Alexander for coming here. Alexander, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, dude, it's a pleasure. You know, you and I met. Um, you and I met at the Damasteel Invitational. It was and, a fun night. Um, we were we were doing knife talk, and we were we were running the Damasteel Invitational uh, show, which is awesome, an awesome show. And you, this was the first time. I never got a chance to kind of see your work. And what I try to do for the Damaseal Invitational is I, really, I make like a dossier on all the people who are involved because we end up interviewing all of them and it's like a round robin. And, you know, I, I like to know these things because I want to make it feel like, you know, I know what I'm talking about. And when I came across your work, I was blown away. Your oyster knives are the most recognizable and unique oyster knives on the market. Yes,
0: that means I'm doing something right.
1: Yeah, you're doing something right. And looking at your looking at your history, how many generations of oyster farmers are in your family?
0: Uh, well, we used to have this oyster packing facility in the family, and it has like the stone when it was made, and that says 1873. Wow. My uncle says that he can tie back every one down to that that date but uh yeah let's say 100 years
1: 100 years of oyster farming in a family that's amazing
0: yeah it's uh it really is and my nephew is still uh, continuing with it so we'll have uh, hopefully some more generations
1: to come because in your area in the netherlands and i'm not a hundred percent sure of the geography of of all of it but I visited I visited Amsterdam. I loved Amsterdam. I loved the Netherlands, PS. I, I and um I, I loved I loved Amsterdam. It's such a rich history of art. It's a rich history of architecture. And we ended up going down to Brussels. Okay. And we I was stupefied at how good the we had mussels in Brussels. Obviously, that's what you do, right? More mm-hmm. free. I couldn't believe how good the seafood was. And I was talking to the I was talking to the owner. I was like, God damn this. These mussels are unbelievable. And he says, Oh yeah, we get we get the best shellfish, you know, oysters and mussels around.
0: Yeah, that's uh I used to grow up in Iveske, which is in the southwest, like where all the Delta works are the the when you see Dutch dikes and stuff like that, that's where we live. Right. And uh our family used to have a oyster and mussel fishing company and we would ship a lot of it just to Belgium. They really yeah. like that stuff and they uh, it's amazing what they do for it you could trade cars and stuff like that if if you wanted to
1: well it, th- what i was saying to the i mean i've eaten mussels and oysters my whole life and these particular oysters were you know you think you i mean these particular muscles you were thinking you're thinking to yourself you're thinking to yourself all right i had a muscle or two not a big deal they were shockingly different than anything i'd ever had in the united states to the point where i was like i had to pull the manager aside and where the fuck are these muscles coming from And it was like this delicious, they were delicious. They were, they had a lot of flavor, they had a lot of meat. There was just everything about it, the preparation. It was kind of not foreign from what I was used to, but the quality was just like strikingly amazing. And I would imagine that in a family like yours, you're very well accustomed to these, you know, high level oysters and mussels. I, I
0: don't ever eat in a restaurant, fish, fish in a restaurant it's even uh, come to the point that uh, where i used to live with my with my dad our neighbor uh, used to be a fisherman and they would fish for seoul on the north sea and then they would fish around seven o'clock on a friday morning well more like four o'clock five o'clock on a friday morning and that would be dinner at six o'clock and so if we would go a day longer or you eat something in a restaurant stuff like that you're all already like nah ma nah, i i'm used to better so i'm Is really that, spoiled
1: you, you know what it's spoiled but at the same time it does ruin you I and mean, we when we talk about being spoiled it does ruin you for a lot of things like if you're used to if you're used to a certain amount of freshness i mean you're talking about like freshes in like i remember When I was younger i went trout fishing and we cooked the trout that we caught within the within a couple of hours of catching them Mm -hmm. and it was a stunning difference about how they tasted over anything else and i would imagine that it's just like it ruins you it ruins you from enjoying anything else i'm surprised you even still like oysters growing up all these years as an oyster in an oyster and mussel farm family i would be like i have had it with these goddamn things
0: Well, I have to be honest, I don't eat them that much just for that reason. Yeah. Uh, But it's also funny because um, in the Netherlands, they used to have like uh, these very little shrimp. uh, And back in the day, they would uh, peel them like old fisherman's wife and they would be peeling them. And then some business guy uh, managed to set up a logistical line and they would ship them to Morocco where the wages were lower. And then they would peel them there and then they would ship them back and then there was like a two week delay Uh, you know everything worked out Uh, but they were adding so much conservative to the little shrimps that uh, the taste sort of different uh, became different and then uh, entrepreneur uh, class pool he invented the machine to peel uh, the shrimp fresh and so all of a sudden they were like it's caught Thursday afternoon and then it's peeled on Friday and it's in the supermarket at, you know, 5 PM on Friday. And people were like, yeah, this is not what shrimp tastes like because they had been eating it out of Morocco for the last 20 years. And it, it changed right. the perception of what people thought something should taste. Which is- that
1: happens in everything. I mean, if you, you know, if you, if you get, I mean, if you're, even if you're talking about Italian cooking, like, we're used to i'm used to uh, this type of pizza sauce because of what we've been given for so long and then all of a sudden you have this when you start having fresher things or things with less preservatives you're you're unaccustomed to it and then you you're just like oh this isn't what it's supposed to taste like but at the same time it's like it's because you've been kind of perverted by these preservatives and stuff
0: yeah it's 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 really funny how that
2: goes
1: and um yeah what was uh what was it like growing up when you ha when you would have to help ha- how often was your dad out on the boat
0: um so uh, every day uh Monday to Friday and they would sail with the tide, but they wouldn't sleep on the boat because we are in this sea arm it's quite sheltered, so um, they would leave at six o'clock in the morning and the other drive at eight o'clock in the morning that was dependent on the tide and uh, they would always be uh home by six
1: how how much volume i mean i'm trying to figure out the how how the the oysters are harvested how is what's the typical week like you're is there some days where you're harvesting the oysters and obviously you have to maintain them and there's like there has to be a degree of rotation in regards to how how what's the traditional how does what well, oyster farming really work
0: uh, oyster farming is a bit different uh, everywhere uh, what we used to do uh, is um, we have like these very sheltered areas and so you grow in a three to four year cycle and the first year you're putting uh, empty muscle shells in this very sheltered area uh, and then the oyster you know they replicate themselves they squirt millions of uh, perms or eggs they're uh, the one year they're male the other year it can be female so and then they they put everything in the water and then if you have um, conception you'll grow a little larvae and the larvae will uh, grow into these muscle shells and they want calcium for their to build the shell and they take that out of these dead Muscle shells, and if you do that in a very sheltered area, uh, the chances are the biggest that the oyster will actually grow. So we make these beds, and this is something we usually do in the summer. We make these beds, and then uh, in at the end of the summer, the larvae settle down, and then one year later, uh, you have these very small little oysters, like smaller than an inch. Um, and and
1: so. Just out of curiosity, so most oyster shells start off as mussel shells.
2: It's recycled, yes, in a way. Huh. Uh, So yeah,
1: and then so does it has to be like a complete open? Is it have to be a complete open shell, or it can be a half shell?
0: No, it can be. uh, We usually grind it to uh, very small pieces. Get a very dense bed. It's just that they they want the building supplies and they need the calcium for it I don't know how okay, far so, they break it down to molecular level or something like that but
1: I see because in my mind I'm thinking like it's a, it's ground up They're, the shells are ground up and then they use those grind the the grinds and then they create their shell from the grinds
0: I'm not actually sure about that
1: maybe let's say it let's say that's okay that's what we're going to yes. go with they use the calcium because they're not like taking an old shell and they're like i'll fit no, in this one no, and then no. they kind it's of not, uh... yeah because obviously the hinge would be you know wouldn't work and stuff like that so that's interesting i i didn't realize that you needed the calcium in order for there to be uh um i didn't actually know how they, they were grown frankly by, had no by idea.
0: adding it in rich supply it makes it easier to grow uh, and also Uh, sometimes you have like these oysters and they they stick together they just grow together and then you have to separate them that's what we usually do in the second year in the second year we move them from a sheltered area to an area with much more exposure and thus much more food Uh, and then they can grow together so you have to separate them Um, and then you have growing separate oysters Uh, so i think they sort of stick together if you don't do anything
1: about it so kind of like, a, you have like a nursery area. Yes. And then do they dredge them up? They dredge them up to, how do they harvest the bait? How do they get the the very young ones out of the nursery? Do they just like dredge, her, dredge them out yes. of Yes. We used to
0: have these uh, steel nets. They were, let me convert to uh, uh, Imperial, like uh, seven feet wide and uh, okay. five feet long steel nets. And it was like this... Um, bar and then we would uh, go with the boat sail it around and then dredge them up and they have um, uh, like all the the fish and the sand and everything that would wash out and then we would just uh, put them in the hold of the ship and i know the our boat was um, quite large compared to what i see on instagram what they're using in america Um, it was around uh, 28 meters so that's 32 yards i think wow. and uh, that was that's big. What quite big because what i see in america is that they're using a lot of these hanging line hanging lines with baskets and stuff like that so they put real yeah. small oysters in and then they grow protected where we and that's called off bottom culture and we used to grow bottom culture where everything was on the bottom of the sea
1: so there must be, I mean, obviously you don't have scuba divers going down and counting everything. There must be like some sort of mathematical guess, estimate in regards to the volume of what you have. I wouldn't know how you'd even, oh, I mean, obviously I'm not a well, oyster guy, but how you figure everything out. Uh, w-
0: there are a couple of ways. You can just uh, measure the depth uh, and then how many cent, uh, how many feet of oysters there are on there. Uh, but I also know that the European Union is very strict on rules and stuff like that, and they want to know everything that comes out of the sea. And so there are a lot of metrics of how many tons of oysters get fished every year. I thought it was sure. around 6 million tons.
1: Jesus.
0: That's insane.
1: 6 million yeah. tons
0: of oysters and a year? It's just an but don't pin me on it.
1: That's fine. Don't worry. Listen, I don't, don't worry about that. I guess, I guess the question is, is like, I would imagine if you're an oyster farmer and you're, you're trying to, you know, obviously the, the demand is always very high. I would imagine that you have, you know, like almost years and years of beds in different areas. So you're constantly recycling. How many, how many beds would there be based on timeline? Does that make sense? Um... Like, would you either be like like how, how, how far in advance are you growing these so, things because you said you said won to three yeah, years three to Just four years
0: usually um, four because years. when then in the final year you um you fish him up again and we used to hand sort everything to size and that what that what was too small we would keep separate and then um put overboard again so the next year, you know, everything that's still on this uh, on this parcel, this lot, it was a bit too small last year, so this year it should be okay. And then, uh, yeah, there I know we had uh, one hundred and thirty hectares. Uh, an hectare is a uh, hundred by a hundred yards. So yeah, there was quite a lot of room, but especially because oysters can be like two foot deep like full of oysters growing on top of each other that's that's wow. like a, a real good oyster bat so there can be a lot of uh, uh oysters on just one one spot
1: what do you think the craziest thing your dad ever hauled up was Ooh. like there must have been one day where he comes home and he's like alexander you're never gonna believe what came oh up there the are day.
0: so many weird stuff they fished up uh but there was one of uh, uh we used to have like this um water uh tapping point in a in the garden it was a weird little stone and i was always like what is it it was a sort of a pillar and uh they fished it right. up and that was from reimer's wow which was a medieval city that got drowned i think around 1400 stuff and something like that wow. and uh, yeah because um, where i used to live it used to be all small little islands and bit by bit they put everything together by m- making more land putting out dikes pumping out the water and then uh, but there used to be a lot of these places that um, you know just drowned back in the day even as far back as 1953 we had like Eighteen hundred and thirty-five dead in one night. Just you know, bad oh maintenance God. on the dikes by the Germans in World War Two, bad storm, you know, and then uh, a lot of people died. So, Ugh. welcome to the Netherlands.
1: But that must, I mean, but that's, I mean, finding that piece of archaeology must have been like, you know,
2: incredible. yeah.
1: And... I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking like, I'm thinking like maybe found like some weird octopus or something like that or some sort of strange you know fish came out that yeah well
0: uh, i my dad retired when he was oh he was quite young actually but it, when he was 60 so he spent 42 years sorting everything by hand they've seen everything brass boots uh, watches uh, everything but no bodies <laughs> not that i'm aware of but you know they oh yeah there see no, he didn't tell you this one funny story about the chinese mafia um so we have the the delta works which are the very famous um, dams and they built one next to the north sea there is a lot of current and you know if you dump something in there with good tide, you're definitely getting rid of it and so the chinese mafia they wanted to dump a body and it was back like in the 80s and so uh they they drove it the van threw the body out and then continued the thing was that there was uh the first 300 yards was uh rock and so they dumped the body on the on the rock barrier to prevent uh sand from slipping away by the current so they just didn't dump it in. the sea they dumped dumped it in drugs and it was a security camera and before the end of the dam, they already got caught so
1: oh jeez, well, that's not a very that wasn't no no no
0: movie, no right. and so those are the the story oh. that I used to love when I was a kid when they were like yes <laughs> oh. a lot of stuff happens
1: oh god yeah, you never, you never think that the Chinese mafia are gonna <laughs> foul up a, a good, a perfectly good murder in, you know, the Netherlands. I mean, it's all the whole story yeah. is gonna. So, at what point do you think? I mean, so you're growing up. Do you think that your father wanted you to go into the carry on the business? I mean, there is almost like this degree of, there's almost like this responsibility that you're like you're the the next in line or something like that. Was that ever the, Was that ever brought up that you'd kind of kind of cool it was uh, actually quite funny
0: because um um, he always said to me you have to have an education first and then you can choose if you want to grow to be an oyster farmer and uh we for us the Christmas season is very busy it's uh insane and it's like oh yeah a like 60 percent of your years turnover is done in the weeks around Christmas Uh, and then every oyster that you fish Uh, you have to pick up we sort them by hand and and this was always very hard work and uh i used to help in my holidays or when i wasn't at school and uh, you know we sort them by by sound so we tap them on one another and if they sound hollow you know it's not a good oyster so you throw them away so you can't wear earbuds and there used to be a radio in this tent outside on deck in the cold in December. And uh, once Mariah Carey started singing All I Want for Christmas Is You, and we had this radio station and they would do it every hour, there was somewhere, oh, <laughs> somewhere then I decided I didn't want to continue my life oyster fishing. <laughs> I'm Are you blaming Mariah Carey for all Mariah this? Mariah Carey for that.
1: Oh, jeez jeez i never realized that that song which is uh now it's become this holiday joke has become a uh also uh, the uh the bane of your the, the the fork in the road of your life in terms of whether or not you're going to be yeah, an oyster i think farmer it, or
0: not. I, I think it never you know i loved it i absolutely loved it because you're outside all day and uh, there was my, my dad didn't have like company stress or um in fighting or or office politics stuff like that no they just had it's nice weather it's good for fishing for putting out as much as we can and we can sell everything that we make and so they they had their stress but it was a, a very different environment but I was always like no I want to be something different more technical stuff like that
1: so that brings us to you know i know that the story that you've said is that your father's uh, oyster knives would break and you thought to yourself maybe this is something i could do at what point did you think that i could be make at what point did you think i'm going to make a knife uh, that was
0: like six months before uh, my wife and i were very good when we're camping in germany and uh, we wanted to make a campfire And then I was looking what knife I should buy and then I came across an Aaron Goff video and then I was like oh wait I can do this myself. And so you start off for fun and I had some tools and I had been making stuff for many, and many years like little boats or planes or stuff like that. And then uh, you're like yeah i'm going to make a knife and then you're making another one and then your dad breaks uh, a couple of weeks before Christmas, he breaks his oyster knife and you're like, I'm gonna make you an oyster knife for Christmas because then I finally have a bloody gift to give to you. And uh, that's sort of where everything started. And that was December, 2013.
1: You know, it's funny because I was going onto to your, uh, your YouTube page and I was looking at old videos. I think I was looking at, the, I watched the video of your first chef knife oh. and I could tell, and I know, I mean, I know, I know for a lot of reasons why Aaron Goff is a influence on you. There's a lot of connection. I can see a lot of connection, and Aaron's awesome, and he's inspired so many. I mean, he's helped me in regards to how I make knives too. I watch the same videos. I even saw that in your the way you did your videos. Uh, there was a, there was like a, there was like an homage to how he does the videos. There's a similarity in like the way you take the videos and the way you, the the minimal tools and how you go about it all. There was a lot of relationship there.
0: And the same with Trolsky, the other. He has this very nice dialed down format of a good piece of video, a good piece of music, three to four minutes, and they're building this story. They're building this atmosphere where you just want to drink whiskey, grind knives and make campfires. Right. And uh, yeah, so I started doing that for a bit, and uh, really loved doing that actually. Uh, but yeah, Aaron uh, with his his methods with the filing jig and and everything from the O2 heat treatment and you know you send it. I can remember I sent him a question like what epoxy do you use, and it wasn't total boat, but uh, back in the day he just responded, and how cool is that that this guy which you're watching everything from and you're doing a deep binge and you send him a question and he responds within 15 minutes. You know, that's awesome.
1: Aaron is a very interesting guy. I have him on here a, a bit. I basically told him, you know, you're always welcome here and we have a good time talking. He's an interesting guy because he's so, he's so mathematical and he's very, very focused. But he wants to fuck around. Like, that's the thing. Like, you wouldn't, if you watch his videos, he's so straight, you know, and it's, everything's very, like, very, I mean, because of the CNC, because of the mathematics, because the, everything's very straight. But when he comes to me, he's just like, I just want to fool around. Let's just fool around. And and it's hilarious because this is real dichotomy with him because he is, and he's very humble. Like, he doesn't really kind of get into the fact that he really has inspired a generation a generation, this kind of the social media, YouTube generation, him and Michael Trotsky are the two, two, the best, you know, knife making video guys, you know, at that time that probably really inspired more knife makers than Forge and Fired it.
0: I absolutely agree with you. And, uh, here in the Netherlands, we are not really in knife country. Um, knife is something where people mostly shy away from, uh, everyday carry is, uh, something they, are not really familiar with, and they're trying to ban at the moment also. So uh, uh, they, Michael and um, and Aaron, they sort of created this entire new generation of knife makers. Definitely. They're everybody with uh, a hacksaw and a propane torch and uh, bold ideas start making knives. And uh, that's funny in a country for the Netherlands that hasn't, you know, nobody wears a knife nobody has a knife except for chef knife because everyone right. needs to peel the potatoes and stuff like that but yeah they, do, they did that really well and their openness is so uh, yeah nothing but respect for them
1: well your methodology too i mean you are so well versed i mean you look at your videos um i can't help but think about the hugo knife which is named after your father's first boat, it's named after your grandfather, but it's also all CNC, 100%, stem to stern. There's no uh, scales, there's no added, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a one piece solid knife that's all CNC made out of titanium. How did you get involved with CNC?
0: John Grinsmo was one of the YouTubers I also really like um i've been following him also for many many years and uh this this uh the thing with cnc is there are a lot of reasons to do it there are a lot of reasons and not to do it uh one of my main reasons to wanting to design a knife that i could make by cnc is like hands and uh, wrists i think if your sandpaper has a amount of time that it lasts and your bearings in your drill press have an amount of time that they last and your motor blocking your car I think that your hands and wrists are also things that wear out over time and um, I love life making but I also don't want to uh, have no function in my elbows at age 45 and right. so then you have to start Thinking about uh, what else can I do? Um, how can I make things uh, less hard on my body? I don't mind hard work, but it's also it has to be a conscious decision. If you want to, you know, uh, damage your body by repeatedly doing stuff. And uh, yeah, creating damage. So that was one of the things that I can I design a knife? that's easier well easier no it's not easier but that's possible of making without hand sanding uh, because i sort of hate the hand sanding part on knives uh, on the blades and uh, then i had uh, an experience with uh during COVID. we started making these uh, face shields and it was a very interesting project that we did and everything almost got out of hand but we managed to save it. And then it was okay. So if you have been able to do that, maybe you should just, you know, double down on your dreams and 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 get real serious about the CNC because I was saving money for years, but the things are expensive, so I still had a lot of years to go. So then we made a little leap. We got the CNC in. Um, I was awake all night doing calculations, doing cat design, doing 3D prints and Around 4 o'clock in the morning, I was like, yeah, I think this is going to work. So um, then we went for the
1: CNC ramp. Wow. So it's really quite, I mean, how many, but the, before you got the CNC machine, the, and it's yeah. not like a tabletop CNC, it's like a monster. I mean, you have like a big professional, I don't know if it's five axes, I don't know anything about CNC, but it's like a real one enclosed with water fed. This is like a major monster investment how many how many knives had you made before you got the cnc do you think
2: um more than a Oh, that's a lot
0: yeah but yes uh so i've been selling knives since 2014 and then in 2020 we bought uh, the cnc milling machine and uh 2021 was a light year, but like last year I made 50 Hugo's, which is more than like 2021 and 2020 and also a bit of 2019 combined. Uh, And that's the thing with uh, with CNC if you have a, a process and you have a dial down, you don't have to be around for some parts. So I have this very interesting construction where I have my workshop and I'm subletting in the same building as my other employer is uh, located. So I work, I used to work four days a week for them and then two days a week for myself. Uh, but I used to come in at uh, seven o'clock then up the CNC milling machine and that would run and I would be like. 150 yards to the right, uh, watching with a webcam if everything was going all right, and then if the machine was done, we'd sneak out. And people thought I was just going to the toilet, but then I would be loading parts and, you know, going again.
1: Awesome! That's that's the way to go to the bathroom. P.S. I mean, (laughs) if you actually instead of going to the bathroom, you're actually kind of changing a thing or something like that. I, I, I wonder, I wonder how the how the construction and i want to get into the construction of the hugo because there's a number of things i've been thinking about uh, before you know you got here how did getting you know investing in cnc investing in the information investing in their time the technique and learning how to use it how did it transform your knife making from before you had the cnc to now that you have cnc well there was one
0: little step in between that was 2019. Uh, That was when I bought a CNC router, which I started using to make my own uh, cases to ship the knife in. Because Oyster knives have this very special place where you don't use them enough uh, to put them in a kitchen block. But you're also don't want I don't as a maker, I don't want them thrown in the kitchen drawer where every time you open it, uh, other stuff, you know, gets in touch with your knife and damages, damages it at stuff. So I started making the re- these really nice cases to ship the knife in. And um, that was my first CNC and I can cut wood and still have it and it's being used a lot. Um, so by t- having that machine, which was a couple of thousand dollars, um, I had the basics down and then the next, uh, the big machine came in. Uh, and it sort of changed everything because uh i always was in this dilemma where i was doing some marketing and, um, then i would sell a lot and then it became invisible till i finished everything and then when everything finished i started doing some marketing again then i would sell again and this was this was like this left to right left to right, right. approach where there wasn't any steady flow in it um because then you would do something and a famous chef would say something and then you were buried for in orders for half a year. And um, what I now notice is that I have more production capacity and by having that, it's a more steady flow Um, and you can, you know, if you have a famous knife, you can just give them a knife and they do something with it. And usually they sell some for you Uh, and then, that that was never possible when you're spending every hour you have hand sanding
1: wow i i what, what one of the things that interests me especially about your boxes is and i thought something i thought about and i i was going to bring it up later but I, we're doing it now your boxes that you package your oyster knives are so beautiful and they're so amazing but it made me think is i'm thinking everything you do is very thoughtful down to the construction of the construction of the hugo we're going to get into the other knives too but i want to talk about the hugo for a second everything is very thought out one of the things i started thinking about the boxes and i make oyster knives oyster knives are really hard to make sheaths for in part in my this in my mind and one of the reasons why is because you know a lot of sheaths the reason why sheaths work well is because you have blade you have enough blade that kind of holds it in to a certain degree and oyster knives generally speaking the blade is like two inches, three inches, but then the handle's bigger than the the blade. It can be awkward to make a sheath for a, a um a uh an oyster knife. But also at the same time, it's like you don't normally see oyster knife farmers or oyster oyster guys with sheaths. Usually their knives are on the table. They're working on the things. You don't see a lot of sheaths in general. I, I only make a sheath just for shipping purposes. When I started to look at your boxes, and they're beautiful, and they're and they're CNC with these beautiful patterns, and the wood is beautiful, and it fits perfectly. It started to make me realize, I'm like, the sheath, the, your box is the oyster, and the and the, and when you open it up, that your knife is what's inside. Was that conscious of? Was that conscious to you? Because to me, it was like it was like this eureka moment of like he's building the, this, you know, the the concept of an oyster in this knife.
0: Well, I haven't thought of it like that. I. I suppose you're right but um, I used to ship out in a really cheap wooden box with a 3D print insert and then I was talking to this customer and he said like my dad has bought one of your knives and he has like this ritual that every once a month uh, he's like it's Saturday today I'm going to eat oysters and then he takes the box out of his um, Cupboard and they have like this special cupboard with glass windows and it has a special place and he takes the box out and then he polishes up the knife and he goes to the market and he buys fresh oysters and then he goes to the wine store and he buys a nice bottle of white wine and he invites some friends over and everything comes together just before dinner and then he's shocking them and they're talking and they're having a glass of wine and then I was like that's a really great experience and I'm really grateful that my knife plays a role in that. But huh. if, if that's such a great experience, why is the box so shitty? So
1: <laughs> that's why I started making nicer boxes. Rituals are crazy. People are nuts about rituals. But I mean, the, an oyster knife is different than any other knife because it really is only used for one thing. Like you have a chef knife or a paring knife, they're very versatile. Like you make dinner with them and it's not like one thing. But an oyster knife is specifically for this one thing concept of opening an oyster but to me it was it just seemed as though that the the box was inter, integral to the concept of it's a fucking oyster the whole thing's an oyster it's all it's all symbol, symbolic of the concept of the oyster and and it just uh, you know yeah, maybe it's, you don't it's, think it's it's, a, so, but... it's
0: it's a good one I'll um, go, I remember that
1: go ahead I'm with you 100% one of the other things about the hugo besides the fact that titanium we're going to get the titanium i feel as though you're the construction of the hugo knife and just to describe it to the listeners it's a it's a it's a it's a kind of a dagger style blade it has two uh, wings out for where your thumb if you're left or right so your thumb can hold on it doesn't slip across and it almost the handle is almost like a ribbon it comes down from one side and then it goes around and it has the it has to describe it it i started to think of it almost like the infinity symbol but then I was like, well, it's not really the infinity symbol if it doesn't go all the way around to create that figure eight. It's almost like a three-quarter figure eight that reminded me of like a ribbon. Because, you know, if you were to think, a lot of people would probably think about the construction of their knife and without a handle on it, you you start to your mind starts to go to, well, it's gonna be skeletonized. Like there, there at some point there could be two scales bolted together but you've created this three-dimensional pattern that seems as though it's like a loop, like a ribbon, like a ribbon on your lapel. And I started to look at all these parts and I was starting to wonder about the construction. And then when you look closely, and I can tell that you don't like hand sanding, you've created, you've allowed the, 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 the fabrication parts of the knife, the fabrication, the technical parts, the CNC does, you have these striations, or it's almost like a topographical map where you have these levels, and it's all the passes of the end mill. Was that all conscious?
0: Yes. So
1: uh, I
0: was having this, this, this night, and my wife was um, doing a night shift, and I was like, I want to buy a CNC. And I was having this debate with myself for years, but you know, everything, every time you're short of a bit of money. And I was like, maybe I should go to a bank because otherwise we're never ever going to get there or it's going to take years. And and so, okay, but what are you going to tell them? And, and and you start sketching and you start doing. And um, one of the things I was playing with at the time was, Uh, my other two knife designs used to have like um, a very styled down uh, butt of the knife a bit sharp but some people like to uh, stab oysters with uh, the palm of their hand they they want something round in round in there so i was like i want something to end on a, a round shape and then so i'm going to do this shape and then glue going to glue handles attached and i uh, then you always have to fit them why would you do that and so bit by bit by bit you're uh you're solving problems while you're going and then then i had like this idea but what if i do this cnc milling step over but that would do it a bit coarser than you normally would then it would leave uh, these little steps in there and then you can anodize them and if you can anodize it and then tumble it, you're only taking away the uh, outer parts of the step, the inner part of the step, right. the tumbling stone dark. can never reach there. And so all of a sudden you have this, uh, these step overs, which are a residue from the CNC milling, and you can think it's ugly, but by anodizing the insides and softening the outsides, you all of a sudden get this two-tone finish and then it became really cool and so i thought like uh, now i'm gonna keep it,
1: it well because it creates a depth of field in terms of color yeah. because so the, so the medium, all the mediums hitting the outer spots like the peaks and then it's and then all the the darker parts are in the inside so you're creating this kind of like it's almost like an antique quality to it it's not it's, antique antique's not the right word but it's a worn it's more like a rich um it's it's a richness because you're creating this depth of field in terms of the color
0: i think if you look at the like the blade uh, that's um, more uh well the, the the angle is flatter so the color is more you can see it better and and if you then look at it you have a, a perfectly symmetrical damascus that 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 runs to the point uh, and it's really mesmerizing in 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 a way um,
1: Ah, yeah i see i see what you're it's saying like when you it's say Damascus. like it's a
0: two tone of Damascus but then in titanium with anodizing
1: and uh, well this is the this is this is why i mean to make the hugo knife this is the reason why cnc is so important you, because it's it's you carved
0: you, you can't do it any other way um even like i ground titanium uh, when I made folding knives way back when, and grinding titanium is already hard. So starting out with a massive block, it's impossible. Well, it's it's you're you're bullying yourself. But then getting all the the lines in perfectly symmetrical too, it's it's not possible. I think.
1: No, I think you're right. I mean, you how would you? I mean, you would have to. You couldn't carve it. I mean, it's just, it's. I I, I think for me i'm fascinated by people's intentions and i and i'm also i like to analyze intentions in terms of is it a successful reason to you and why would you use this if you're not going to allow it to be like forging steel is like you, you it always to me it's like forging steel is to see what you know to make people know that it's forged so why would you take off all the material you know afterward why would you take off all those forged parts otherwise so to me, the fact that you're utilizing the end result of the CNC milling process is so important to the why, the reason why your process is important to the knife in and of itself. You can't do it any other way.
0: No, and, and uh, I know Aaron is a big fan of this, but the toolpaths can be another expression, a way of expression. Um, the way yeah. things go and at the end mill, uh, comes out of it, uh, you can make a statement with that as well.
1: It's it's interesting that you say that because it makes me think of painting. And the painters, there are certain painters who you look you look at a painting and you don't know how they did it. You can't see brush strokes. You can't see anything. It's photogra- It's like photographic realism. And then there's some who allow, and my father was a painter. He wanted the, you to see that this was painted. He wanted the paintbrush to make the mark. And it was the it was the uh, after effect of the technique. So like comparing the the Hugo to uh, Aaron's resolute. I have one of the resolutes. it looks immaculate, but you cannot see any there's one thing you can see on the resolute that makes me realize that it wasn't done my hand, but only because I work with G10 so much. G- and just a side note and it makes you realize that there are these two different you know you're allowing the cnc to kind of shine and come out and and then there are people like aaron who are like i don't want you to know how i did it i mean i do but like when you look at it there shouldn't be any like residue for the fact that it was done with the machine and the only reason why i know that his knives were done and this isn't something i didn't bring up with him um Just because it just didn't come up but with his g10 g g10 is such a strange uh, material it's very very easy to bruise and i could tell there was very very slight even bruising on the handle that you could only do if it was it was with with the cnc like you couldn't do with it if you had a sander you could not put that texture and you couldn't bruise in a very controlled pattern g10 but what I find it fascinating with yours is how dependent the CNC is to the final outcome and allowing the machine to make the knife the way the knife is.
0: It's like stock removal, but you're not, uh, not only doing just the blade, you're also doing the handles in one go. So you're moving a lot of material, um, but by doing that, it's one piece it's literally a block of titanium being milled out until you have the shapes of a knife.
1: What made you decide that I'm gonna make this knife and I'm only gonna use titanium?
0: Uh, so the, the, there was a time when I was making a lot of different knives. And at some point I had an epiphany and I was like, no, 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 I'm only gonna do oyster knives. So then you're doing more and more oyster knives. And there were always two problems I had. Uh, the one of them was rust, uh, because even if I use damascus a lot, even if you use damasteel you're literally poking in a salt water bath. Uh, right. So you have to educate your customer to a certain degree that they have to rinse their knives uh but if they're you know drinking champagne all night long and the oysters yeah they're not gonna do that until they're sober and are rid of the hangover and then i had a, i had the customer and they had spots of rust so usually you take some olive oil and you just rub it off it's okay but what if it was impossible for it to rust so titanium you know, they put it in implants, they put it in hips, they put it in knees. Um, it has a reason why that why that is, because it can't rust, because if your hip starts rusting, then you have a serious problem. So that was one of them. Major. Uh, and the other one was always breaking uh, tips because uh, an oyster knife is something completely different than uh, like the other knives. You should forget knives and you start thinking pry bars. Um, because you're literally having two pieces of stone and you're trying to uh, get your knife in, then you're going to put power on it by wiggling and stuff like that. And all everything happens with just the, the first half inch of the knife. So I had customers who broke their tip. Um, it happens. And I think that's also one of the realities of when you are making oyster knives is it happens. Uh, I was talking to Finkel Ferguson, and he also is like, it happens, what do you do? And um, so then it was like, okay, titanium, uh, if they use it for landing gears to absorb the shock, maybe you can shock the oyster with it. Uh, And the first try I did with the heat treatment on titanium, which is completely different as well. The first try I did with the heat treatment, and um, yeah no, that didn't work out, which was a bit of a low point because then you're invested all that money in the CNC machine, you have it, you get a nice product out, you send it away for a professional shocker to test it and uh, a bit past 300 oysters, the tip broke. And you're like, Sh. Right. But, you know, we, I figured that out eventually with a different uh, heat treatment. and. Uh, now I have to say that titanium works quite well on oysters.
1: I have a, I have a num- I have a lot of questions on titanium because I've never used it. I, I'll, the only thing is, I see people when they're grinding it, it's like, it, it's like I'm a, under the impression it's like solar sparks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is sparks like nuclear yes. sparks. Is it expensive <laughs> material <laughs> compared to stainless? It's, it's, yeah. It's... Oh well, there you go. That's your answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Obviously. No. it's... um
0: like uh, six or seven times what you would pay for the same knife and damasteel um oh
1: my the, god no, I love Damasteel. steel god bless damn steel but ain't it cheap damasteel ain't cheap cheapy no it's it's uh, six
0: times uh you would pay around well, I'm willing really like to share this. Yeah. Well, you would pay around like um, eighty, ninety to a hundred dollars for just the base material of
1: the knife. Okay, for 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 an oyster knife. Because I mean, you're for what I use. All right. So for what you use, because it's also you're talking about like three quarters of an inch thick. All right. That's not crazy. But I mean, if yeah. like you were to buy like a, if you were, to, let's say you were to buy some some some, that doesn't sound crazy to me. It doesn't sound crazy to me. Um, if you were, to, I would think that if your starting stock was like two inches or I don't know to talk about, you know, I don't know. You know, like if you were to buy that stock as a paring knife, you know, where you're th- much thinner, I'm, I'd be yeah. interested to know the, the Like I think of things like, you know, I'm buying stuff for, you know, knife blank st- stock or for like a eighth inch chef knife or a, or a 332nd chef knife which I know everyone's just like, I don't know what that is. But well, I would imagine I think, what the difference would be.
0: I think one of the differences is uh, your supply chain. If you, and I don't want to upset your sponsors, but if you buy something at a knife parts store, everything is much more oh, yeah. expensive. Of course. Uh, it's the same with weddings. It's the same with yeah. babies. Yeah, m- Middlemen middle
1: are expensive, but they're convenient. Uh, yes. Yes,
0: but uh, I buy my supply from aerospace suppliers. So they just, you know, everything with C N C machining. Your car has a lot of parts that are C N C machined. Airplanes have parts. Uh, So I just buy the raw material from a non-specialized place. If if you would buy knife-making titanium, it would it would be double. Right probably.
1: Right, right, right. Uh, that price but, doesn't seem as crazy. I think that the, I think that the, 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 it's also, you have to take an account that the, the thickness and the size that you're ordering would be astronomical if it was anything.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: That, that's, that's true.
1: So what's the heat treatment process? So, all right. So I'm, I'm imagining you get your block of steel, you cut it into the side, the size that you need, you've created the fixtures, is the is your CNC squared away so you set it and forget it? You've created all the pathways and it's one pass per side, or is it multiple stages? I'm I'm a novice. I don't know anything about CNC. Have you created multiple different steps in the pathway, or is it once, twice?
0: I I do it in four steps. Um, like the first two steps are. Creating uh, pockets and holes to screw down everything, right? Because you know you have to hold it, and then I go into the the one side, and then the final side. And I always leave the tabs off because I want to um, set uh, grind the uh, edge geometry by hand. So there is still a bit of uh, hand grinding and hand sanding left in this knife. But like the the knife tip uh, is is done by me, not by the machine.
1: That makes sense. I mean, you can't. I mean, you know, gotta have a little bit of fun, right? I mean, yeah, and um, little human touch, tiniest bit of human touch you're accepting, tiniest bit of human touch you accept. No,
0: there's still a lot of polishing still left, but it's it's not hand sanding. It's more with like the Scotch Brite wheels and right. you're putting the finishing touches, and you can go for a hundred percent dialed down cnc machining process and i'm not going for that i'm more like 85 percent there and then there are still two marks and stuff like that and then those i have to remove by polishing by you know doing it with the wheel uh and but i find that makes it faster in the setup up front instead of Doing everything 100% perfect and then having to scrap a lot of stuff because things don't fit or things don't work out. Because if you have like the one side of the knife with the logo and then you flip it over, you can either match the lines later on the grinder or you have to dial it in 100% of the time, with the risk that it's not working out and then you have to throw the block of titanium away. Yeah, so I, I just don't do that. It's it's really, really close. And uh, it takes me like 10 minutes on the grinder and the wheels to get every, uh, get the edges sorted out. But that just by doing it like that, uh, by going in for not perfect, but making it semi-perfect at the end, it, it makes it simpler. Otherwise you can get caught up in these rabbit holes yeah. spending weeks. Trying
1: to figure stuff out. Did when you came up with the handle design, was there that? What were you when you were drawing out the handle, the ribbon? You know, one it's like a it's like a bar. It's a very it's very it stops at where you would put your thumb, and then it comes down, loops around, and then there's a you have a little extra for the palm of your hand, and it comes back, and then it goes underneath, and it lands back on. Were you thinking of anything in particular? Was it an idea that you had, or were you just doodling? and or... No, it
0: was uh like I said. I wanted the round butt of the knife, and I also knew how I wanted to make the tip because I know that that this tip works really well with a wide variety of oysters. Because my oysters are not the same as your oysters or the oysters they're eating in Japan, so you want a sort of uh, all-round shape if you want to cater to everybody so the both the ends of the knife were defined let's put it like that and then you just start moving in between but the thing is because it's titanium and everybody thinks titanium is lightweight no titanium isn't lightweight titanium is the strongest material per weight unit but that still means it's quite heavy so that knife would have been way too heavy if there wasn't an opening in the handle and it would right. be really uh, heavy to the butt. So I needed to make a cutout in there. So that's another defined feature. And then the rest is doodling and, and, right. and, and, and math and, and, and stuff. And then I draw that up in CAD, I made a 3D print, and I was like, oh, this is awful. Uh, awful. And then I made another one. And another one, and then at version nine, I was like, "Yeah, I think I'm happy now." But that's because the thing—that's the thing with three D printer. You just throw it in, you go do something else, and then six hours later, you come back and you just feel it in your hand. Like is this is what I'm looking for.
1: Wow, what's the heat treat process for? So you've you've uh, you've cut out your you've the CNC has done the work. It's off the machine. What's the heat treatment process for that knife?
2: Um,
0: it's, uh, it, it's called participation hardening, and it's sort of like, uh, eight hours at 950 degrees. Eight hours? Yeah, it's really weird. Do
1: you do it at home or do you send it out? No, I do it at home. Wait a second mind blown so the so it goes to 800 it goes to 900 degrees centigrade yeah okay so that's all right so let's just say i'm gonna just i'm gonna do the conversion i'm getting i'm getting texts right now probably in the future from the past listeners saying that's only i don't know what it is but it's sitting it's sitting in foil or just by itself uh no
0: just by itself because you're, eight, you're you're thinking like a knife maker because yes why are we putting stuff in foil because the carbon can't burn off
1: right well you're you're, you're trying you're putting in foil so, so there's no oxygen yes and, and why yes it, right to burn, right. To That's burn right. The
0: carbon which carbon right
1: so there's no carbon migration to make the scale I got it there's no fucking carbon in titanium right correct Shit, I didn't know that now I know and I know th- nothing about titanium no
0: it's it, it, for me it was really new as well um uh, and there is like no tempering
1: <laughs> wait a second so you have it at, for eight hours in the oven so you have to plan out your heat treatment how many if you're going to do a heat treatment batch how many knives you have have in the oven because I think about this because for production I f- different steels allow me different rates and volumes of being able to heat treat so AEBL I can heat treat like 16 knives in a day, easy. In 440C, because of their different steps and different ramp rates and different holding times, I'm comfortable with like 10 to 12. So when you're thinking about doing a heat treatment, how many oyster knives are you heat treating at the same time?
0: Uh, Usually three.
2: But I... Wow. uh, The... The thing the thing is
0: that you don't have to um quench it so i usually just i have a, a program and i run it overnight and then i come in and then it's done so the
1: so the so the quench is it just turns the oven just turns off and it slowly it's, cools down it doesn't need to be okay. air quenched or anything like that it just it just cools down in the oven like i
0: don't want to give everything away because i had to do some uh, stuff. But it's I don't it, give it away. But, but it's 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 like baking a cake.
1: Do you think my listeners are gonna are like on the phone to get titanium? You're wrong. No, but I, I mean, don't I worry have, about I have, that. I have
0: a very nice copycat in Pakistan and
1: ah uh, everyone's got that. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Welcome to the knife world. Trust me, don't worry about that. He ain't, ain't listening to this either. Trust me. Serious, trust me. It's it's like baking get, it, listen it, it's to me. like baking
0: a cake. You're putting it in and the longer it stays in, the harder it gets.
1: Huh. Wow, and no tempering. No,
0: because the temper is uh, when when steel expands, uh, and then you cool it down really rapidly, and then the carbides are are, are uh, caught in the uh, in the steel structure. I think it's something like that, right?
1: Yeah, you're create you're transforming iron carbides into austenite, and then they're slowly turning from austenite to martensite.
0: Yes, but. That that, that's not
2: happening in titanium, so you don't have to do a quench.
1: Wow! And they can just you just get it. You hold it at eight for eight hours, and then all of a sudden the oven turns off, and then the next morning, and it's they're ready to pull. And then how often are you doing heat treatments? I would imagine you're doing every day.
0: Um, no, I usually try to uh, do everything in batches, mostly of. uh, 10, uh, 10, blades or five blades. And then every other week I'm doing, like the one week the CNC router is running and it's making the boxes. And the other week, the CNC mail is running. Uh, if, and if it's not caught up for other jobs, like chop job shop, stuff like that. But um, because that's quite funny. Um, when I'm listening, uh, when I'm at my other job, I have the webcam on so I can see what's going on. I usually have an earpiece in where I can hear the sound of the machine. And if everything is normal, it's okay. But then if you hear some weird sound, then I'm running. Right. Um, uh, And I can't do that when there are two machines working simultaneously. So the one week I do wood, the next week I do titanium or stainless or stuff like
1: that. I'm surprised you're only putting three in the... Now that I know that you're not having... Because the problem with heat treating steel is... Every time you open up, I only do, I I stay away from heat treating more than, the maximum I'll do is like four. I've done five or six just because I just don't want to have two. If I have a set of knives, I don't want to do two by themselves. I like to have at least a few of them in there, like a a packed oven. I even have knives ready to be heat treated just so every heat treat is like maximum amount. Because you don't have to open the door in between, I would be packing that oven i'd make like a rack and i'd have that i'd have that oven packed to the gills <laughs> with oyster knives yeah well
0: it's I'm, i haven't really given it that much thought because i was so happy that i got something that worked and and so but now that i am launching the Enduris knife which is a, a new diamond steel rwl 34 model i'm i'm running into this because Uh, how many knives do you put in there and it it never was never was a topic and i always do them by one and then have a different tempering oven but now i'm like maybe i can put in two or well i should probably buy even heat and 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 get a bit going on there and also buy a hardness tester to do your quality checking in-house but um the heat treatment part i've it's always sort of magical, and it's always sort of a black box. And I'm very happy when it works, uh, and then do some tests to see if it's okay. But ah, it's always like a handle. You can see it's good, it's nice, it looks good. There are no cracks. Awesome. But heat treatment on the inside, it's always it's it's one of the scariest part of sending a knife. Out, I don't think.
1: So. Couple questions about the heat treatment, and I want to talk about the endurance knife endurance knife so after the titanium is cooled down, is that when you start to kind of clean it up and put the put it in you know do the anodizing and then hit it in the tumbler
0: uh yes, yeah anodizing is definitely after um, after heat treatment, and it's even like I tried to uh i've for years i've had always uh, a long lead time because i wasn't uh, there so you would order today and then it would the knife would ship in 3 4 5 months now i try to have like finished knives in stock and then they're all titanium color uh and if you want them in blue then i start anodizing them and shipping them out and that that final part with all the finishing touches takes around an hour which makes it possible for me to like really ship out on time instead of having these very long lead times uh, so uh, yeah the coloring is always done uh, on the customer request after heat treatment
1: so the endurance knife is totally different than the Hugo knife it's 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 fascinating because it's a different style altogether because, you know, when you think about an oyster knife, you think of like, it's like a dagger. It's like, it's, 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 it's a symmetrical knife. And what you see with the Aduris knife, it looks more like the style of what a paring knife would be, where you're holding it, there's one side. How did you come up with that? So
0: there was, and Aduris is the upgrade of my oh, right. uh, original knife. So I started in 2014. Yacomina uh sketched out uh a couple of shapes, made them all by hand, and then I was like This is a a shape that's very comfortable for a lot of people uh and so that was the start of a mergo designs the knife business part and uh it was a limited edition of fifty pieces and so last year things really started to pick up, and I really ran out of my uh, fifty pieces uh, the remaining pieces quite quickly. And so I thought, like I have to do something else. So this shape is a continuation. It's um, ambidextrous. It's not symmetrical, but it is ambidextrous, which is uh, a nice thing, I suppose, for a lot of people. Um, yeah, of course. But once again, uh, you're you're referring to a paring knife, and then the blade would be held uh, vertical, right? So, um, right. But the thing with an oyster is. You don't want to shuck a oyster vertically, where the the hinge is on its side, because then everything, you know, runs out, and especially the juices with oyster knife, They're re- with oysters, they're really lovely. Um, so you're uh, twisting the knife 90 degrees, and then all of a sudden you have a very nice shape that fits nicely in the palm of your hand, and gives you a lot of control when you're doing the wiggling motion in order to get into the oyster. Does
1: that make sense? What's interesting?: Yeah, 100 percent. I, 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 f- I find oyster knife handle design very interesting because I've uh, always kind of not struggled with it, but you, know, in the United States, a lot of oyster knives are generally inexpensive, and it's because, for the, probably the same reason why you would say, it's because you know, the tips break off and just wear and tear. And oyster, oyster knives don't have so much uh, versatility that it's almost like a luxury. You know, for for someone to have like an expensive oyster knife. When I started making oyster knives, I started to realize that most inexpensive oyster knives, the handles are all turned on a. Uh, usually, the wooden ones are the the handles are turned. It's like a very rounded handle, and it's almost like a light mm-hmm. bulb. But what I started to realize with, with holding a knife is because you're using one of those turned handles, your hand is is squeezing harder to get a better grip on the knife to keep the blade parallel Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i started to think that for me if the if the the body of the handle was squarish where the handle where the scales were flat you'd have more leverage when you're twisting because you're not fighting the grip to hold a round Uh, object
0: yes that's yeah you're 100 percent correct on that
1: and i and i really really and then that's when i started to realize that like custom knife custom oyster knives are great because what you don't want to do is there's a lot of oyster knife the whole idea and i, I heard you on another podcast talking about like the third biggest knife accident yeah is oyster th- th- knife. this was it uh, was uh, well, in, Ma- in maine
0: uh and uh, the the third main uh, reason of stabbing related incidents uh on the er is uh oysters so bagel is one avocado is two and then oysters are number three for people to end up on the er with a cutting wound
1: let's just back it up a hair and i'm going to take a shot at my friends in maine number one is not bagels number one is most likely being drunk or meth let's not let's let's it's not bagels it's not bagels these motherfuckers Um. in maine are drunk God bless Maine. God bless Maine. God bless Maine. I'm with you, but let's, y'all motherfuckers aren't avocados. Stop it with the avocados in Maine. You don't ain't doing that. I would, I would, I would, I love the fact that there's this. So when I think about the handles and I think about like, cause I, I really believe that the reason why people hurt themselves is it's, they don't have the idea of how you're supposed to open an oyster and the grip should be, you shouldn't be, when you're forcing yourself to grip hard. I think you're putting added stress in your arm and then you're you're everything's tense and that's why you end up pushing too hard into the oyster hinge and the fact that you your two different styles and then the endurance now the endurance that come from the where is the is that the also the Yakamina? but well, this was funny on them uh damsel invitational you're like yeah
0: they're the same and i was like no they're the, they're not the same and then i was looking at them and it was okay okay they're quite similar they're close they're close they're close, uh, they're close. the the original knife was a bit further away from the Yakumina, which came later but uh, they're now quite close i have to be honest about that but they they just ju- choose the but, same principle of thought
1: well i apologize for 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 generalizing you are completely correct that, i have that tendency I have that tendency to kind of boil things down and sometimes it can be a little bit, uh, you know, unnecessary, but for both that style of knife, the, the Hugo, which is closer to, you know, almost like a know, light bulb shape isn't the right idea, but it's like, I would think that both of you, nah, I nah, nah, think about it. I would think that you're holding it differently because the, the Enduris, there's almost like you're holding it, You're holding it in your hand differently than you would the the Hugo, am I wrong?
0: It depends per person. What I really like about the Hugo knife is that I think around 50% of my customers are women. I think it's around 50-50, which is something funny in the custom knife world because it's very much a man's world, I suppose. And the women, um hold it in different places than guys with big hands. Um I huh. usually really um creep forward on it and try to uh, put my thumb on the flats of the blade, then only have like half an inch sticking out until I'm in the shell and then I'm gripping at the end of the handle and doing the twist. Um and I know a lot of women do that as well, but some guys really like to, you know, shove it with the palm of their hand and just brute force it into the shell it's and uh no that's everybody tricky. do does it in their same way and there are a lot of different places to grab and this is all by coincidence so i don't have to do any uh marketing for that it was an accident but p- people like it and that's always nice to hear
1: when i when i first started making my i actually well, I went to culinary school and we were using oyster knives and we were using what was re- referred to in in the northeast as the new haven style mm-hmm. oyster knife blade the new haven style oyster knife blade is like three inches long maybe two and a half three inches long and then it's it's curved at the tip and the idea was always that it was curved when i say curved i'm saying curved i you know in the down you know so so it's not bl- it's not curved like a blade would be curved but it's got a little bit of a hook a little bit on the end it's, i don't know if i'm It's like somebody right. bent but It's like bent. The... it's it's bent right and the idea was was you would you you know for i don't know if you know that there's an expression called when you're opening from the hinge it's also referred to as butt shucking yes. i don't know if you know that or not you, okay you don't know but butt shucking all right great so you put the hinge you put it in the hinge you crack it open and then you're, that curve allows you to get underneath the, the, the meat to uh, take, it, take it off the abductor muscle without kind of uh, breaking it up a little bit. So when I started making it, I didn't want to make, I really didn't, I didn't care. And then my business partner who was a chef says, you got to start making oyster knives. I'm like, no one's going to buy oyster knives. Well, I made an oyster knife based off of what I used to use. And then we, we do very well with the oyster knife. And then I just assumed that everyone he opens from the hinge, and then after a number of years, I met a guy. Name of his name is Steve, and he was he was in the oyster selling business in the Chesapeake Bay area. Chesapeake Bay area, and he sent me this message. He says, "I don't, I you know, I don't, I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but we open oysters differently. I saw one of your oyster knives up close, and I just want you to know that we open oysters down here differently." And then he started to explain to me that. The, not, a lot of the oysters in the Chesapeake Bay are farmed much earlier. They're much younger than an older wild oyster. So what happens is, and I don't know the dates. You probably know how long a farm-raised oyster is. Is you know some of these things. I'm under the impression it's under a year old. I'm under the impression. I could be wrong. He says that what happens is, is the shell is so fragile that if you try to butt shuck an oyster, you're going to break the shell. And then destroy the shell. Possibly, you know, if it if it shatters in your hand, it's probably going to go in your hand. And what they do with these younger oysters is they'll go through the side. They'll have a knife that's closer to a clam knife or a, or a paring knife, and then they'll pry it open from the side. That was so I had to make a knife that was. And I started. I was like, well, I'll make a knife. I'll try to do that version too. What was interesting was, was I was finding that there are so many different varieties of oysters and types of oysters and sizes of oyster knives that it was kind of neat to figure out, well, what should I be doing? Because I got a one guy who's just like, I want a long, I want a long oyster knife. I'm like, how long do you, oyster knife? you want it? He's like, I need the blade to be six inches long. I'm like, bro, <laughs> there's no way you have a six inch oyster. And he goes, and he says, yeah, down in New Orleans, yeah. we have monster oysters down here. And I need like Sometimes something pictures on Instagram warm. where they have like I don't an uh, oyster
0: the size of your forearm, and I'm like, keep that away from a knife, please. The,
1: the, ugh, oh yeah. yeah, you gotta ugh. get a sledgehammer or something like that, or, or a piece of dynamite. Who knows? So I'm interested to know because I mean, your your knives, they have a straight blade. They're usually they look about like three, maybe closer to four inches, maybe three and a half inches long on the longer side. Tell me about the, and then looking at the videos, the oysters that you were shucking based off the limited amount of oysters that I, lo- I saw you shucking, they were on the bigger side. I would have imagined, and because you said that the oysters your dad was pulling was like a year to three years, those would be considered closer to like a wild oyster, right? Well, we have
0: two types of oysters, the edulous type, which are European flats and they are really easy to shuck uh, and they're never that big they're like two to three inches and they're almost like a uh, around. almost like the shell logo i suppose and we have the pacific cup ones, right. and these can be really gnarly um, and they can grow really really big but they are yeah they are gnarly they have all these spikes on them and 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 they try to damage you while you try to damage them. Um, and yeah, I, I, I always find that something like length is it's one of the factors. But when I'm always talking, knife design, and especially blade design, there is this dichotomy of uh, strength versus speed. And I think it's a really interesting one. So let's say you make oyster knife the size of a needle you would be really easy into the shell but if you make a bit of a mistake you would break it right you can also make like a tank of oyster knife like you sometimes see in the folding knives where they have like these pocket cleaves where you're like really are you walking around with that in your pocket Uh, you wouldn't be able to get into the shell you would never be able to open and chuck it Uh, and the commercial uh oyster knives around here we they use a lot of throwaway oyster knives and they give them you buy 30 oysters and you know at the end of the 30 oysters the knife is almost done for itself um they usually go quite thin because then more people are able to open the oyster but there is this balance like i'm making a custom knife i want to be it to be an heirloom piece for people to remember all those times that they ate oysters with their dad or their mom. So it has to go on for many, many, many years. But I also don't want it to be too thick because then people can't uh, easily shock oysters with it, and then they won't use it, and so you still don't have those memories. So there is this this dichotomy where you're looking for the 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 perfect uh, thickness size. Ratio in order to get easy into the oyster, but not break. Uh, and I think that's if you if you have a good design for that, then your um, that's much more important than the eventual length of uh, the blade. I
1: I I agree with everything you said. And one of the interesting things is when I get messages, especially on Knife Talk, about when I'm designing an oyster knife, what should I do? I try, the word knife is probably not correct. Like oyster knives, they shouldn't be sharp. There's no reason for there to be sharp. And I try to explain, it. I said, a pry bar is closer to what you're looking for. And you need the geometry and the stoutness in order for there to, to not flex, for not to break. So I have my, the, the, you know, if you did a cross cut of my oyster knives, it's like, an, it's like, it's more like an oval. It's more like an oval and then those edges are a little bit, I wouldn't say they're sharp, but they're robust. They're robust enough that they're not gonna, you know, it's no, not an
0: uh, edge. Mine are the same, absolutely the same. And uh, it's the same with people like heat treatment. And, I'm, and then they say, yeah, which hardness sh- should I aim for? And then I'm like, why would you want hardness? And then they're like, yes, but with a knife when you're cutting, and I'm like, you're not cutting. So why do you need hardness? And then there's usually this, uh, yeah. people are so caught up in what they see and what they get thought. And that's correct if you are making a bearing knife or a chef knife or a stuff, other stuff. But this is more like a pry bar and uh, you don't need right. hardness and stuff like that. And uh, I've seen people shuck oysters with a credit card. Yeah, Julie Q. She's the, the world famous oyster sommelier. She's from Brooklyn. She's so she's around you guys. Now uh, she's living in Madrid for a year, but she is like the most famous oyster person on Instagram, and she shucks them with a credit card. Uh, gut How? chucking,
2: and then, yeah, you just really.
1: I thought you know I was trying to figure out how to make a joke. do You, you know you, no, you use a credit card. It, it is like Russian roulette. But <laughs>
0: um, either you're doing the dishes in the restaurant or you're uh eating oysters. It's it's one of them. But uh right. when you have these uh, farmed oysters, they can be quite easy. They can have a very exposed hinge, and then you go in with the credit card. Don't do any wiggling motions, but just go in and do the adductor muscle and cut it off and uh she does that really nice and uh yeah that that works and i've seen people use screwdrivers and i've pe- seen people use microwaves and everything is possible
1: uh, i was going to bring up the microwaves because that's something that a lot of uh, chefs are telling people the hack is yeah it was micro-
0: a, a few years back when i was in the newspaper with my knife design and I had like this guy calling and he was like, yes, I don't want a fully automated machine and you're the guy and you're gonna do this for me. And I was like, nah, it's not really my thing. And he said, yeah, we're gonna make a lot of money together uh, automating Mr. Shocking machine. And I was like, buy a microwave. And you know, it was, it was the end of the conversation, I think.
1: But the microwave thing is like, if you stick them on a plate and you microwave them for 30 seconds, it, I guess it kills them, but it... it um, if you it, do
0: it I, I, shorter, they get hot, so they open up to cool down, and this is like four seconds, and then you go in real quickly, and then you stab a knife between the shells, and then they close, but then you're already in. You can cut the abductor muscle, and you're oh, done. Oh,
1: I didn't, I didn't know it was because it gets them hot, and they don't want, they want to open up. That I didn't know. I thought it was... I thought it just... I didn't realize that. I'm, I've done it before, but I don't know. I feel I don't want to. I don't want a warmed up oyster.
0: No, but it's uh, if if you know how to shock, it's not necessary, right? It's uh, and that's one of the things that I think that a a a tradition or a ritual with oysters and a good oyster knife. Then you have this experience, and you're not um, dreading having to shock oysters. You're more like, hey, it's a nice. A new reason to to get that nice oyster knife out of uh, out of, out of its shell or box.
1: All right, give me an oyster recipe. We're gonna finish this off with an oyster recipe. Uh, give me something
0: good. Okay, so I'll have to admit that I don't like raw oysters, more no texture wise, but uh, like baked with. Uh... So my dad always used to make um, uh, garlic butter a nice white onion and then some cheese in the oven and then you would put it in uh, this oven bowl and you would put in a bit of uh, water and a nice piece of a piece of bread on the side and then you eat the oysters and they're delicious but the oysters and they spill the salt water with oils of the uh, butter the flavor of the garlic and the cheese and then you would dip the bread in the liquid that's under the oysters and that's that's the best like the combination of the two the piece of bread the oyster and uh, and and the juice that's that's my favorite recipe
1: that's actually that's what i did a video i did a video and i did a yeah you char broil char broiled oysters out in new orleans there's this place called drago's and what they do is they shuck the oysters and then they'll put garlic butter In the shell, and then they'll put it under the broiler, and then they'll hit it with the Parmesan cheese, and then you create something just unbelievably dynamite. I I didn't realize if you, if you, because the problem with cooking the oysters is you obviously don't want to lose the liqueur. The problem is, is you got to sit them up right. So some people cook them on salt. Some I made, I make little rings, but you're saying that to put the oyster on a piece of bread when you put it in the oven? No, the the piece of
0: bread is separate, but you bake it in the oven and it's nice and warm, and then you just dip it.
1: Because I was thinking, if the bread was your holder, well, then all of a sudden you're toasting the bread. And you're not losing anything either, but then you might end up getting some oyster grit in your bread.
0: Well, the, um, we have this the typical Dutch thing, and that's called the frikandel. Do you know that 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 in America?
1: Go ahead, tell me all about so,
0: it. Traditionally, frikandel is like a fifty-fifty blend of pork and uh, cow. Uh, and it's like this sausage that they deep fry and it's delicious. And it has a lot of spice in it, but it also had a lot of salt in it. And then last September I was at a festival and this guy who is the many, many, many times Dutch oyster competition chucker champion, and they made this frikandel, but then with oyster. And so they sort of replaced the uh, salt that they had to add in large quantities with uh with oyster meat and they would grind ground everything make a sausage of it and they had a very nice crispy um shell wow And it was nice and salty and you had the the nice texture of the oysters and the other meats and that was that was amazing and they served it on a piece of bread with some mayonnaise and some uh, salad and and yeah that was lovely
1: look at you that's um that sounds good well one of the things about oysters and mussels and all that stuff is that's the same kind of umami flavor that you'll see in like fish sauce there's like there's like this i like we make pizza and we use chopped clams on the pizza and it is like it there's something about that that brininess and then the there's that kind of little bit of funkiness to it that really makes things delicious i love i love my dad
0: used to cook mussels and then like the liquid that you cook the mussels in uh he would filter it and next day after he would boil his pasta in that like a spaghetti and it's so much better there's so much taste damn it's amazing
1: that's a lot of well you gotta have a lot of muscles to do that that's a strong move
0: no you you don't you just add more water but usually around oh, here yeah, they okay. cook mussels with like um just a bit of wine or a bit of beer a very small bit of water some onions some uh, carrots and then they just stew, stew them until they boil, and they clip them over, and then again. And then you have this uh, because there is a lot of water coming out of the mussels. You have this very nice, yeah, uh, uh, broth that you're creating for next day.
1: Damn, you're making me hungry. It's nine o'clock. Hey, in the morning.
0: hey! I was walking uh, the, the the children's stroller last week, and I heard you and Ben Snur talking about pizzas for half an hour. And it was like walking oh, yeah. in the middle of nowhere uh, craving pizza.
1: Yeah, the, the yeah, we had, food talk is we have a we have. I had guy ended up getting a number of messages saying thanks for nothing. Now I had to stop by one guy had to stop by a gas station to get a frozen pizza because he had he'd had it. So I'm sorry about that. What's next for Alex Bull? Is it a mer a merho or mergo?
0: It's like Latin. It's actually Latin, because the province I live in, the the state motto is like L'uctor uh, et Emergo, which means uh, to fight against water and rise above. And the rise part is Emerge, Emergo. So that was Emergo designed. Uh, so it's Emergo.
1: Emergo design. What's next for Alex Boll, Alexander bull and Emergo? Well, I just
0: uh, became a dad a couple of weeks ago. Congratulations. Uh, and so uh, this year is really for me uh, dialing everything down uh, because like the new Enduris knife, which is uh, the follow-up, the original knife, I'm now making it on the CNC as well. And I really want to uh, dial the process down that I don't have any stress when I get an order in, that I can, uh, you know, the, the the crazy stuff that you get, like people call I have a wedding on Friday and it's Wednesday and yeah. can you make me a knife no but I have yeah. one in stock that I can sell you oh you want an engraving on it oh that's no problem um it, it's just so much easier when you have it in stock and um I don't have it in stock right now so if somebody orders I all of a sudden have a bit of a deadline and I really try to um uh you know get that uh Sort it out, just like with the Hugo ice, where I have like one of them in stock in each color and then have some uncolored stock, and I can just ship out stuff unless really crazy stuff happens uh, and I would really want to get that going in order to you know get world dominance in the oyster knife business field, so that's the end of, that's the end game, but we'll see if that
1: happens. you are the you are the first my guests to ever want world dominance and I, I, am, I am a fan of the fact that you want world dominance in well, uh,
0: um, No, oh, well, nice. I, back in the day I was making every kind of knife um, and I had this, um, this one guy uh, from Utah I think, and he ordered um, a seven piece culinary set uh, and I would ship them out every time I had something finished but I didn't have any packaging for it. So you would package it in a cardboard box with a bit of paper in it and a bit of tape. And I was like, no, oh, this is not an unboxing experience that you want. So ever since I'm just dialing down on oyster knives, only oyster knives, only marketing for oyster knives, only Instagram for oyster knives. And uh, I don't want to do the rest. I just want to do oyster knives really, really well. And hopefully become a bit of a household name, but that's difficult these days.
1: Emergo Designs. Alexander Bull, ladies and gentlemen, you said a lot. We, we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot about you. We've learned a lot about the Oyster Biz, a lot about the knife game, titanium, CNC, very well-rounded. You got a recipe too. Guys, I want you to follow Alexander Bull on Instagram. It's emergo.designs.oyster.knives. Go check out these oyster knives are awesome. I, I don't, I think that these are the I think the, um, the Hugo is the most unique and beautiful and craveable knife oyster knife I've ever seen. I've ever seen. No question about it. So also go check them out on Instagram on uh, their website is, uh, madeforoysters.com. Alexander Bull, I can't thank you enough. I've been looking forward to this ever since I met you at the Damage Steel Invitational. I really appreciate uh, you coming on here. Thank you so much.
0: Well. Thank you for having me. We've, we've talked about so much and also talk, didn't talk about so much. So uh, there were so many things left to say, but it was a blast and time flew by. And yeah, it was really nice getting to know you guys as well, because before damn steel, I never heard of the knife talk podcast. It was it was just me and my cave standing along and, uh, yeah, hearing what you do for. The community and also with uh, your podcast, it's uh it's great. And I enjoy oh listening. Cow, what
1: a, what a nice thing to say. Well, thank you so much. Um, you know what? Here's the best part. Here's the best part of it. There's so much more to say, leave them wanting more. You're going to have to come back. We're going to have to have you back. I'm going to have to have you back on the full blast podcast. And we're going to talk about, we're gonna talk about other things.
0: Sound good. I'll, uh, prepare yeah. some more recipes. Go, so guys. that's absolutely. Listen, perfect. that's a nice Stories about Belgium guys stabbing
1: themselves. So, yeah. I'm with you, my man, my man. Guys, once again, Alexander Bull is is a total pleasure. I'll have you back on. We'll get you squared away. And, uh, all right, guys, we'll see you next week. All right. Thanks again, Alex. Bye. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers.